Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. Over the last many years, we have been deluged with information on fats, lipids, health, and risks associated with the various forms of diets and the types of fat found in foods. Is there a good fat? Is there a bad type of fat? Are there certain lipoproteins that are good for you and others that are bad for you? How can you impact or change those and what happens if you don't? Despite following this area and seeking the truth, I found this journey to be difficult and filled with changing information and variable understanding. That's not to say the science is not clear. It certainly has changed and there is, like many other areas in medicine, much to learn. But there are some emerging elements that most agree upon and can guide choices in your life. In fact, in my own early life, I found myself immersed in the early experiences and advances of cardiac disease and treatment. In my father's case, he was fortunate. He accessed advanced care and treatment that was available at the time, thankfully saving him from an early death as a result of heart disease. Some of his relatives were not as lucky, failing to the number one killer in our society. A killer that does not itself discriminate, but the rate at which it affects different ethnic groups, genders and populations varies widely. The science and understanding have accelerated, but like many aspects of science advances, the speed with which this knowledge becomes universally applied remains glacial for many. And while the insights are clear on many factors, their positive impact is yet to be felt widely. There are many factors contributing to this slow pace that science seems to move. We move to a data-driven, scientific-based approach that needs data to support evidence-based decision-making and solid progress. But that data is increasingly difficult to gather expeditiously using traditional methods thanks to the complex world we inhabit with many contributing factors and causes at play. There is pressure to find better, faster ways to confirm the data we have that is already overwhelming, but has yet to reach widespread acceptance and use. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Dr. Michael Davidson. He is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine and director of the Lipid Clinic. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Yes, thanks, Nick. Happy to be here. So everyone's getting their lipids measured. It's part of the annual uh, assessment. Uh, we get uh, a number of values, but it would have seemed that that's not really telling the full picture. 
Is that really guiding good therapy and good health? Everything has to be taken in a context. And, and, and the numbers just say one thing, but what's more important is actually your underlying risk for heart disease. Um, and that comes in a number of ways. One, if you already have established atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, you already had a bypass or a stroke or a heart attack or a stent, that's a very different picture than someone who's not yet had an event. And so it's always important to put the numbers in context behind what the risk of that patient is. And so we think about assessing risk. You do the standard age is, um, is, is the biggest factor. The older you are, the, the higher the risk. Uh, but more importantly is the other factors such as your family history, your, do you, have, you smoke cigarettes, you have high blood pressure, do you have diabetes? And then the, the other numbers come into play. What is your HDL, the good cholesterol? What is your LDL, the bad cholesterol, so to speak? And then, you know, today what we're doing, I think is the most valuable test is do you have any plaque present or not? Do you have, we use coronary calcium scoring as the best tool for that. Uh, and that and that's something we do very commonly now to assess risk in, in, in those that do not yet have clinical cardiovascular disease. So let's talk a second about that because I, I'm not sure that everybody would be familiar with that term. Um, what is coronary calcium scoring and, and how do we go about that? And, and why does that give us additional information that's useful? So coronary calcium scoring is a very simple test. You do a CAT scan of your heart and you measure the amount of calcium in your arteries. Calcium is plaque that's that's already been calcified, which, which is um, a marker of your total plaque burden. So the higher the score, the more plaque you have in your arteries. It's complicated because as the plaque heals, it also becomes calcified. So it's a, it, it can be a measurement of you know, stable plaque, really, plaque that's been there for a long time. And even, like even, even when they did CAT scans of, of mummies from Egypt, you know, they had calcium in their arteries. So it's, been, it's there forever. It's not going to go away. And so it's a reflection of your plaque burden. That's a simple test. It's not expensive. It, you know, the, the cost is somewhere between $50 and $200. Uh, the only issue uh, is that it, you need to be old enough to consider having that test. And generally, it's like 40 years of age and older for a male or 50 years of age and older for a female is where the test is, is most valuable to assess risk. And what the test tells you, it gives you a percentile for your age. And so if you're 50 years old and you have should have zero calcium at your age normally. So if you do have calcium and the higher the score, the higher the percentile, the higher the risk of cardiovascular disease at your age. And so that's that test is very useful. It's been validated by a number of different teams in the academic world of determining whether your medication is warranted or not. And so it's, that's probably the most, think about whether you decided to take a statin or other, any other medicine, you know, most important is, is determining whether you, you do have plaque and how to go about treating that plaque most effectively. So, you know, clearly this is not individualized uh, uh, medical advice. This is, you know, thinking about it in the context of you, the individual, you talked about all of the context that contributes to that. Obviously, age is the primary driver, but then all of these other contributing uh, factors. If if you were thinking about this for yourself, how do you go about approaching this to say what's appropriate for me, and and where do I start thinking about uh, 
um, screening, for example. Everybody gets, well, I, I believe most people get some form of screening. So we do colonoscopy screening at a certain age. Is it appropriate to start introducing some of these types of screening, including obviously the cholesterol levels? Where, where do you sit with all of that? Yeah, so that, that's where um, like family history becomes important. If you do have a strong family history of heart disease, you should, you should be screened when you're a child and determine whether you have high cholesterol. And, 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 and there's recommendations now by the American of Pediatrics that at age eight, if you have an LDL cholesterol over 190, you should probably be started on a statin because you have familial hypercholesterolemia, an autosomal dominant genetic disorder that leads to premature heart disease. Uh, so that, that is one you know, recommendation. But generally speaking, you, when, knowing your cholesterol level at a reasonable age, and let's, let's pick 18 is it being reasonable for, for most people. Um, that's the starting point. And then if it's normal, you know, when, I, when we say normal, it's a, it's a relative turn, you know, it's, it's, you know, below 200 total LDL below hundred, um, you, you, you probably should check it periodically, but you don't need to do it on a regular basis, maybe every four or five years in that regard. But there is one thing that I want to bring up. That's the new trend in cholesterol screening. And that is what's called primordial prevention, which is Ideally, you know, atherosclerosis starts at a young age. We know that from, you know, the Vietnam War when soldiers were killed in combat on autopsy, a lot of them already had plaque. You know that from car accident victims of children who had heart disease and their parents, they also had plaque early in age. So it starts early in life. And so we, we are strongly considering what's called primordial prevention, which is we treat cholesterol as early in life as possible. Uh, within reason. I mean, that's, you know, we don't want to start taking medicine at a young age for, for everybody, but there's a, there's a, a, a term that's called cholesterol years. In other words, num the amount of cholesterol you have over your, over the number of years. And it's in the, the rough rule of thumb is that eight grams of cholesterol in your lifetime, LDL cholesterol, I would say leads to heart disease. So eight grams could be 200 milligrams per deciliter, which is very high, which that's more that that's the genetic cholesterol elevation. Over 40 years, you get plaque, you get 40 years time. So 40 times 20, uh, 200 is, is eight grams. Then that's, that's one example. The other would be 100 milligrams per deciliter times 80 years. That's when you know, people that have 100 milligram per deciliter get heart disease in their 80s. And then we have what's called primordial prevention, 80 milligrams per deciliter times 100 years. So if you kept your LDL below 80 your whole life, you wouldn't get heart disease until at least 100. And that's where this new concept is, is becoming more and more mainstream is that you wanna treat in early, as early in life as possible, keep your LDL below 80 your entire life. And that's called primordial prevention. That does not, does not necessarily mean medication, but it means obviously lifestyle and and things like that. But um, that's where I believe things are heading. And then we're trying to fine tune that even more with genomic testing, what's called a polygenic risk score, where we can tell a person who's no matter what age they are, because they can, genes don't change. You can tell them at age 21, for example, you have a high polygenic score, which is even better than family history. And your likelihood of heart disease in your lifetime is gonna be is quite high. So start now. To get your cholesterol levels down, and that—that's the future. It's and that's how we kind of manage it in our lipid clinic now. We we look at 
genomic risk scoring as a way to um, better define risk in, in, a, in a young young person. Uh, and so that's that's the talk about young. Now, the, unfortunately, the guidelines right now are, are, are just the opposite. They, they wait to somebody already has heart disease, then they, they want to be aggressive and they treat then, or they, they treat based on a risk score, which is heavily driven by age. And so the older you are, the higher the risk score. And so there's this disconnect between, you know, we, you want the absolute benefit is driven by risk. So the higher the risk, the greater the absolute benefit. Uh, but the lifetime benefit can be achieved in a much greater degree by starting young in life. And genomic research supports this very strongly that the longer you treat, the greater the, the benefit. And so I would say that, you know, for, for uh, someone who's in their 20s, you should strongly consider treating early with um, diet and lifestyle, uh, and then if necessary, medication to, uh, to get your LDL levels below that threshold that I would consider healthy to prevent heart disease in the first place, prevent any plaque from starting. Because once you already have plaque, it's much harder to reverse it than it is from stopping it from happening in the first place. So you, you bring up an extremely important point. So here I am, I'm, I'm fortunate to be talking to a, a you know, world leading expert that uh, you know, really understands the depth. You've you've sort of progressed the science, but medicine is notorious for the delay in which knowledge that you know at this point, whilst not fully established, I think we've got a clear strategy, reaches down into the masses. We were relatively delayed. We saw that with um, you know cardiac disease and the delivery of uh, beta blockers and aspirin for somebody that had a heart attack took 15 to 20 years to reach general use if you think about this now how would you help accelerate that expansion of knowledge so that people more generally is this now a personal responsibility or is there some way that we can accelerate the expansion so that more access and more delivery of these insights that are clearly transformational to everybody can occur right i mean the the the, the issue is that um for cholesterol at least you know guidelines are evidence driven you know, clinical trial evidence driven and um the hard part here is that we don't we don't have or, or probably never will have a trial saying starting in age 20 we're going to treat everybody and see the long-term effects of that we have to base it on on epidemiology and biology and uh, and try to make uh, good estimates on on how to go about treating patients or people more effectively and unfortunately I, LDL cholesterol is kind of like the stepchild of risk factors. For blood pressure, for example, we don't wait till someone has a stroke before we start treating blood pressure. We don't wait for somebody with diabetes to have kidney failure and blindness before we start treating their glucose levels. So LDL is taken actually, unfortunately, in a different light than these other well-known you know, causal risk factors. Uh, but the evidence for LDL is actually overwhelming, that it's, that it's causal and the lower, the better, and the longer you treat, the better. And so if you know those three concepts, you know, it's causal, the lower, the better, and the longer, the better, you can then, I think, um, make it a better informed decision for yourself about when do you want to be treated. I, I, now, I understand a lot of people don't want to take medication when they're, they're 20. I, 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 I get that. I, and, I, and I know it's not, not an easy sell, 
for a lot of people, especially to, more so today than ever, I, I, I believe. It's been, that's the way that things are going in the, in the population. So I, I think it's helpful to know um, whether you have, uh, I think these genomic scores will become more available. That's why calcium scoring is very, very popular actually among the experts, because it, it can get people motivated to say, okay, I'm 40 years old, I don't wanna take a statin and they get the calcium score back and it's high for their age. They all, of a sudden, they all of a sudden become motivated. They know they're treating not just the number, but, but the plaque itself. And so um, that, 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 that is um, you know, part of our, our way we promote these ideas. And when I, when I, when I see a young person, I, I tell them my own personal story actually, which is you know, my father died at age 47 of a heart attack. I was 16 years old. My younger brother was 14. Uh, we, um, both had our cholesterols tested and they were both, both of us had horrible cholesterol profiles. I mean, uh, you know, the, the high LDL, low good HDL, high triglycerides, and we we're young skinny kids. Uh, and uh, we, um, it wasn't any medicines really available at the time. Uh, and so I started taking medicine in medical school. And then it, when statins became available in 87, I started taking statins. So I was um, roughly 30 years old. And, uh, and I, um, I've been on stands my whole life. And my brother uh, decided to become a vegetarian and became you know, very health conscious, still is. And he unfortunately had bypass at age 44, uh, did not take a stat. So, and, and I think it's, he's doing fine now, you know, thank goodness. I mean, but he, uh, I think I, we had two, you know, two, one, it's a trial of two people. One did one and one did the other, but it's, I think it's important to, so I do think, and I've been scanned multiple times. I don't have significant coronary disease at age 65. So I think it's, it's a, my own personal story helps me feel, feel passionate about it for other young people out there that starting early in life can make a big difference. Uh, but it's a personal decision. It's not an evidence-based decision. It's based on trying to give someone the facts and your opinions and your recommendations, and they can decide whether they want to do it or not. And we sometimes get people on board and sometimes we don't. I mean, it's, 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 it's really a personal decision about what to do in that regard. But we certainly think that the three rules, you know, the, the lower the LDL, the better, uh, and, and the longer you treat, the better uh, are, are the key to, uh, then of course your risk, you know, what your risk is determines, you know, whether you should be treated or not. Well, first of all, sorry to hear about your father. I know that that would have been a, a very challenging uh, experience. Um, you know, glad that things are, uh, the trajectory has been good, you know, obviously through a difficult time when there was no opportunity for uh, specific medication. We've obviously seen the rise of statins, um, you know, and a comparison point against, in this case, diet. So that's one of the other ways of sort of approaching this. And you, you intimated a little bit about that, that you know, it's not just medication, it's about lifestyle. You know, there are other ways of sort of addressing this that, you know, maybe increase the good cholesterol, if indeed that's a thing, um, the HDL. Um, how do you see that as a, a, an alternative or addition? Where, where do you fall on all of that? Yeah, so I think the, the key thing is... Um, Diet, diets also need to be individualized. And, and, and I think that um, in general, um, when you have a, a metabolic syndrome, you know, high triglyceride, low HDL type patient, 
you're better off with lower carb diets, lower carbohydrate diets. So carbohydrates get turned into glucose and then glucose gets turned into fat and those are triglycerides. And so uh, when you look at dietary therapy, you, you think about the, um, that, that approach and we like low carb diets, you know, and sometimes ideally low saturated fat, low carb together is best, but, but saturated fat has gotten a, kind of m- much more of a bad rap than it should. Uh, cause but carbs are really more, more of an issue, uh, for most people actually, especially in today's world it's it's more about sugar and carbs than anything else. And so, uh, but we, we do low saturated fat diets can help when LDL pure LDL issues are at stake. You have a high LDL, Sometimes keto diets, for example, can can markedly raise the LDL, and that's you know especially the carnivore keto diet. And so it's no no, and, and it's not everyone uh, that happens to it. So there's certainly genetic susceptibility to saturated fat, but certainly saturated fats when they go up can can raise your LDL. So you think about really two different types of diets. One is low carb for the metabolic syndrome, high triglyceride, low HDL, and then there's the high LDL, pure LDL. You, more, you think about saturated fat and incorporating more soluble fiber like oatmeal, oat bran, plants, sterols, and stanols, and, and soy protein. That's kind of our regimen for the, the LDL-lowering diet uh, in general. And of course, um, exercise is always valuable for the, the low HDL, you know, high triglyceride metabolic syndrome, keeping your, your weight down. But I do want to move on to one other point, uh, and that's the ApoB LDL particle issue, which is um, a more advanced way of looking at lipids. And unfortunately, for a lot of high-risk people, there is discordance between the, the standard LDL measurement, which is a calculated number, generally speaking, and the more advanced testing where you measure LDL particles or ApoB or, or some combination of those two, especially when you have metabolic syndrome, you know, high triglycerides, low HDL, that, that, that LDL particle ApoB are much higher than the LDL, uh, this what's called discordance, the LDL looks okay, but the ApoB and our LDL particles look, look very elevated. We see that we see that very commonly today in the US population with the metabolic syndrome, especially if you have diabetes, especially if you already have heart disease, there's a lot of discordance and you should be measuring more accurately the risk with ApoB or, or, and or LDL particles. Uh, and, that, and that becomes the much better risk predictor and, and therefore the best, much better target of therapy. And so that's the other part of the, the mix. And then the last thing is LP little a, which is a, another lipoprotein little a, a genetic, pure genetic factor, but a very powerful genetic factor. Uh, and, uh, and we're trying to recommend more widespread screening of that, especially when you have a family history. And then in those patients, you wanna get the LDL down as low as possible for sure. It's, a, it's, like, it's like smoking. I mean, if you smoke and you keep your LDL really low, you mitigate the risk of smoking for heart disease, not, not for cancer, of course. But so if you have high LPLA, you want to lower the LDL, especially the LDL particles and ApoB. And in, in hindsight, if we had ApoB first and LDL second, we'd be measuring ApoB in everybody, but that's the better risk predictor. Uh, but since LDL came first and ApoB came second, and, and it's, it's, a, it's a little bit more expensive test, of course, uh, it, it's, but it, but it is a, it is an important kind of con- confirmatory test about risk. And now you're a thin person, your LDL and ApoB should be, should be very similar actually, if you're, unless you have a family history of premature heart disease. But in most cases, uh, if you, if you have metabolic syndrome or diabetes or heart disease or family history of heart disease, they can be very discordant. The LDL can look fine and the ApoB 
And risk follows the ApoB, not, not LD on those cases. In other words, if you're discordant, risk tracks with the, the more active, more, more accurate predictor, which is ApoB in, 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 those, in those people. So I think very clear, complex area, lots to understand, lots to learn, very customized and necessary to really consult and understand the detail and work with your clinical providers to really uh, focus on your individual case so that you can find the right trajectory and importantly, the appropriate testing and I think hopefully a move towards better testing. Michael, thanks for joining me today. Well, thank you, Nick. It was my real pleasure and I hope it was helpful. Like I said, the, the key things are understanding those principles, you know, lower is better, longer is better for treatment, and then understanding your risk and what the different factors are that you can modify to reduce that risk over the long term. Science and progress are messy, but the good news is we have and continue to make amazing progress, offering a wide range of options for people to improve their overall health and importantly, stay well and disease free. But there is no magic brush that we can all apply to our lives. It's more like an advanced detailed picture from the Color by Numbers franchise, with small areas each encoded with a different color. Everyone is talking about personalized medicine as the path to the future, but in reality, what we all need and desire is personalized health and wellness. It starts with adjudicating what is necessary for the individual based on the latest understanding, applying the latest science, and then developing a personalized plan that adapts to each of our special and unique circumstances. Your better pill to swallow is adapting to the new normal of healthcare that moves beyond health and medicine to wellness and primordial screening that approaches each individual on the basis of prevention. The financial systems have started to move towards this model and many are getting there. For all the others, they will be left behind and while change is taking place, getting ahead of that curve is not only good for business, it's good for the patient, which ultimately is what we are all focused on. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.